I have some really exciting news for listeners of the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Most people think lifestyle investing is about making more money or creating additional passive income streams. And while that is part of it, the most savvy lifestyle investors understand that having a solid tax strategy is fundamental and really foundational to creating wealth. I firmly believe that having the right tax strategy is the single best investment that you can make. I know tax strategy isn't the sexiest topic, but once you understand a few key elements to the IRS playbook, the compounding benefit you receive year after year is enormously significant. In fact, we have members inside the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind who have used these strategies and have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars, and in some cases, millions of dollars. This is not a nice to have if you're interested in growing your wealth. This is a must. In our brand new tax strategy masterclass, I have hand-selected and shared the details of the 28 most valuable strategies to help you increase your tax savings this year and for years to come. Plus, if you want to hire a top-tier tax strategist, it can easily set you back tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And you want to make sure that you have the best, most accurate information to ensure that you're hiring the right person for you. That's why we included a whole section with advice, resources, and multiple interviews with my personal tax specialists to help you build a bulletproof tax team, but for a fraction of the cost. The entire tax strategy masterclass was designed for people like you who want to keep more of their hard-earned money without having to sift through the complicated tax code. If you're interested, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax to learn more about the course or set up a free consultation call with our team at lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Today, I'm speaking with Dave Durand. Dave is the co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media, a top 20 fastest growing media company in North America. Dave is also a best-selling author, professional speaker, and he has mentored over 150,000 individuals, including entrepreneurs, sales teams, Fortune 500 executives, and CEOs to grow successful, thriving businesses. Over the years, Dave has built and sold companies valued in the hundreds of millions of dollars and done over a billion dollars worth of sales. Today, I wanted to speak to him to uncover how he did it. In this episode, you'll learn Dave's top tips for building and cultivating an amazing leadership team that will take your business to new heights. 
You'll learn the top three decision-making formula that's helped Dave build and exit multiple companies without sacrificing personal fulfillment and time spent with loved ones, and the keys to building a great culture in your organization that brings everyone together under a singular mission. One more thing before we get to today's interview. I've got something special for Lifestyle Investor Podcast listeners. Dave is giving away four free course modules from the Leading Giants Masterclass, which was designed to help entrepreneurs and executives take their business to the next level. If you want to maximize the way you lead your organization, grow your business, and close sales, I highly recommend opting in for this resource. To get access to this gift, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash 171. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Dave Durand. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here, Justin. Well, it's been a long time since we've gotten a chance to really dive in, and I'm excited for our time together. In fact, we just spent some time recording on your podcast this last hour, and it was so fun just hearing all the cool things you're up to, and I can't wait to really kind of dissect these for our audience. Well, you gave the scrolls to our audience right now. I'll tell you, I can see why you do as well as you do, because just you're unafraid to provide good, free, solid advice. And then when you get an opportunity to take people to a deeper level, they just, they're basically saying, Hey, uh, this guy, uh, he cares about what I'm doing here and he, he wants me to succeed. And that came out on our show. So thanks again. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And this will be fun for our audience because the feedback that I get is they love when I bring people in that I've had years of experience with or years of friendship with, and they can hear some of the backstory, some of the things that I've learned, some of the people that have been influential. And so this goes back to the early days for me as a Cutco manager. Yeah, You were my region manager, and we spent a number of years working together, working closely together, where I got a chance to see your skills in action, your leadership style. In fact, a lot of your leadership style really impacted mine long term because I feel like there are two different styles that exist. There's the style where you really micromanage and the style that you're a little bit more macro, let people do as they do. And I think over here, you may hire a certain person that allows you to just kind of manage them every single day. Whereas I'd much rather kind of follow your approach, which is let's hire really good, competent people, and then let's not micromanage them and let's let them do their thing and step in and correct as we need to. And so I feel like that has served me really well. And that's one of the the many things I picked up from you. Yeah, thanks. And it was easy to work with you because you were naturally inclined to do that. And you made me look good all the time. I was just, I, I mentioned that on, on, on my show. It was like, you get a guy like that, that's a super achiever. And if you get in their way, you're just going to reduce their performance. So there's two things that people don't really get about leadership. And that is that if you give people the proper authority and the resources to get something done, they're going to do it. But if you hamstring either one of those, they can't get it done. And you were the kind of guy where it was like, okay, here are the keys to the kingdom. Go make it big. And you did. Well, I appreciate that. And when I think about people that leave the Cutco organization, I think most people really leave thinking that they have maybe bigger skills or more experience than maybe they really have, not recognizing what expertise do I have and what expertise don't I have. Mm -hmm. And so I think anyone from Cutco is going to do really well in sales at any level, corporate sales, you name it. Mm-hmm. I think often people that leave Cutco, they don't thrive as much in the entrepreneurship space and starting a mm-hmm. company. 
And you have had a lot of success with that. You have started a number of different companies. And I'd love to kind of walk through what it was like when you left and really creating, I think, the first business outside of Cutco was Best Version Media. And so I'd love to learn some of that story, maybe some of the concerns of pivoting from one business, starting another one, not knowing necessarily how to do it and Mm -hmm. being an amateur all over again. Yeah. Well, I think some of the principles, of course, of leadership and success, they are the same. But one of the things that I did is early in my career, and I'll never forget this, you know, because I'm 54 years old. So when I first started my career, there was this thing that that people were calling the internet. It was a fascinating (laughs) tool. And I remember still having things faxed back and forth. But believe it or not, email was brand new when I first came on the scene. And I remember in Cutco, we didn't have it. Okay. We were like slow to technology in that business. So my friends that graduated and were with big companies would talk about email. And I remember going, I don't know what that is. What is email? And I hated the way that felt. And of course, we were all like independent contractors. So we were running our own tiny little business in this microcosm. And it was only going to be as advanced technologically as we were willing to make it. And I never wanted to feel that way. So I decided every single year as a young man to invent a product or start a new company and to do it on the side for the experience. So I did things like a fitness video, which I wanted to learn everything about it. I liked the industry itself, but I wanted to understand packaging. I wanted to understand delivery. So we put it on ESPN and advertised it. And we were selling more units than the ab roller per unit. And we did everything, all the distribution, everything. But I didn't know at all about impact or scale. So I had no idea what I had in front of me. And had I known, I would have been able to scale that thing and make it go. But instead, I just lost some money, but I had a cool product and I learned a ton of things. And then I started studying just really intensely principles of leadership and companies that did well. So by the time I had left the Cutco business, I had already run many profitable side businesses. And I just realized that I wanted to build equity. That was to me something that was gonna be important. In order to do that, I needed to build something that wasn't a cult of personality. It was something that Dave Durand wasn't relevant to. And I even told people in Best Version Media, hey, when I'm retired, I want people within just a few years of the organization, somebody to say, hey, you know what, Dave would have done this. And for most people in the room to say, who's that? And not care because the, the business is running on its own. And that was an important principle. Well, and that principle also makes the business more valuable. So there's something to be said about, does your ego really allow you to do that? Most people have a hard time with that. Mm -hmm. Secondly, when you're able to do it, it creates more lifestyle. And then thirdly, when you can do it, it makes a more valuable company because people want to buy a business that functions without you. If you. If it is a brand that is centered around you, then it requires you to keep it functioning. Yeah. So this is uh, such a huge, huge principle. So many people have this belief that you've got to do this like grind and work so many hours. So I had people just by default say, hey, you're the CEO of this company. And we're like the fastest growing company in the state of Wisconsin for years and the ninth fastest growing media company in the United States for a lot of years. So they just had this assumption that I worked all the time. And I was home for dinner every day. I mean, I took whatever vacations I needed to. I worked out in the middle of the day and I didn't really advertise that so much. I didn't talk about it or not talk about it, but I never counted hours and I always had a lifestyle. And this is what I think people fail to understand. When you take a look at people like Elon Musk, right? He look at all of the things that he's started. 
if a person is going to be better at what they do because they add more time, they're failing from the start. Because that basically means that if somebody's working 40 hours a week, that Elon Musk, in order to be twice as good as them, has to work 80 hours a week. Yep. And that's literally, he's infinitely better than most people at what he does by way of scale and by way of revenue and everything else that takes place. So it's the leverage that really matters. And trading time for money is a, a ridiculously bad idea. And most people just don't give people the power and the authority to make decisions without them there. And so they're fearful. But when you do that, it, um, it, it is, it's much easier for it to run. So what are some of the keys to get out of that mindset? Because most people are told, hey, go to college. So a lot of people, mm. most people don't go to college, but the ones who go to college, or you spend all this money to go to college, go get a high paying job mm -hmm. and work up the corporate ladder. But every single year, every single promotion, you're becoming more and more tied to your time equaling money. So mm -hmm. what are ways that people can divorce that time equals money scenario? Yeah, I think the first thing that I look at on this is to say, what are you called to do? I mean, if you are a Ferrari and you spend your life trying to pick up kids from soccer practice and go get groceries, you're going to be miserable. But if you're a minivan and you try to make your money on a racetrack, you're going to be miserable too. We're all a little bit different. And it's not that you're an entrepreneur because you're a Ferrari or you're a corporate employee is a minivan. You could be vice versa. It's not everybody's called to lead. And one of the misnomers now is that everybody can lead. It's just not true. If you have a two-headed beast, it's going to rip itself apart. There's got to be somebody that leads. That's why leaders are harder to find than followers. But the problem is when people basically indict followership as worse than leadership. It's not. The only problem with being a follower is if you're following the wrong leader. And all of us ultimately follow somebody else. And good followership is a prerequisite to great leadership. So the first thing that I tell people is this. Listen, if you are in a corporate mode and you're never going to be an entrepreneur, Awesome. Be a giant in that. And you can find great happiness. The problem is when a person is totally dissatisfied with that and they absolutely know they need to make a change and they stay there anyway. That's the person who needs to break free. And there's a classic thing that I always tell people, if I'd have known then what I know now on this, it would have sped everything up for me. I went to every single Tony Robbins seminar. I was certified in the neuro-linguistic programming and hypnotherapy. I read everything. Okay. And I remember people talking about ideas like pressing hot buttons and how do you motivate people? And it was a kind of a calculated, manipulative sort of thing. And when I started learning about the cardinal virtues, which the cardinal, the word cardinal is the Latin word for hinge, meaning that all virtues that we experience are hinged upon these. It's not a, it's not a religious term. And in fact, it was Aristotle who talked about the cardinal virtues first. And the cardinal virtues are prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. The first one is prudence, which is the mastery of decision-making. And if I would have known this at the time, everything would have been much faster because we, at the end of our career, are going to be judged by the number of decisions that we made that were good versus bad, but more than that, the weight of the good decisions we made versus the weight of the bad decisions, which is why a lot of people have many, many good decisions and one bad decision blows everything up for them. So if I would have learned the process of developing good decisions by way of understanding prudence itself, it would have sped things up way more and that you can teach it. So I always hated when people said things like, oh, you need to believe to achieve. I was like, well, you're telling me to do something I don't know how to do. And it's like, yeah, I still don't. How do you do that? But when you say to somebody, 
learn to make better decisions, there's an actual formula for learning it that anyone can do. And if I would have known that formula when I was young, I would have made way better decisions. I love that. And and I'd love for you to share any of the specifics on that formula that sure. you feel comfortable sharing, because I think this is this is the info that people need to take action. We always talk on this show about taking some form of action every single day and specifically some form of action from this episode from you, Dave. So I'd love to hear more on that. Sure. I will give this to him. And I'm going to tell you, it risks sounding so simple that Somebody would be maybe saying, well, I don't, I don't know if that really has value, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to give you right now is like a piece of snow, okay, a snowball on top of a hill that you push down and becomes a massive avalanche of good. So there are three different steps to great decisions. The first one is that you have to desire what is good. If you don't desire what is good, you can't get anything done. You think about every single thing in your life. If you don't desire what's good for a relationship, it's going to be trashed. If you don't desire what's good in investing, I mean, if your Uber driver doesn't desire what's good, you're not going to get there safe. So everything we need to do, we need to have that purity of heart, which says, I desire what is good here. The second step is we have to know what is real. And this trips people up all the time is they just have no idea what's real. So you're a baker and you bake cookies. What would be good? If you desire what's good, you're going to bake good cookies that are attractive at a reasonable price. Okay, so now you want to come up with some new recipes and you hand them to 20 volunteers in a room and you say, what do you think of the cookies? And they all come back and they say, your cookies are horrible, man. And you look at them and you say, you're tasting them wrong. Well, clearly, you don't know reality. So you have to desire what is good, but then you have to embrace what is real. And so like in investing, it's like, okay, I'm going to make an investment. This is not going right. I have to make a change, right? I desire what's good in this investment, a good return. Anyway, so you go back to this person. He desires what is good. He knows what is real. People don't like the cookies. So what does he do? He has to act upon or do what is good based on reality. And so he's going to go back to the drawing board. He's going to have some better cookies. He's going to bring to the people. And until they say, I love your cookies, they're beautiful, and this is a reasonable price, he's going to keep going through that formula. The problem is that there are three primary intrinsic motors that motivators that we have as a human being. Number one is love, which is self-sacrificial. This is why it's so powerful. Number three is fear. A lot of like cousins to that insecurity and being afraid to take risks in all sorts of ways. But love always trumps fear. So if you're afraid of alligators, you're not going to swim with them. But if your son or daughter falls into a pond with an alligator, you'll jump in and save them. Okay. But the sticky wicket is self-justification. And that's the second one. So when somebody says, I don't like your cookies, you blame them. You don't accept responsibility for it. And now you can't actually pursue what is good, even if initially you wanted to, because you can't see reality. So those three things, as simple as they are, I've gone in with CEOs of big companies and looked at them and said, let's go through your decision-making process. And you know what their first decision is? Walk into a meeting to feed my ego. And that person would rather be right to their own demise than wrong to their own prosperity because they won't see something that's actually there. So if you just break it down like that, all of a sudden, great things happen. I love it. And what you do is such a great job with is you take complex, you simplify it, but you also are one of the best with analogies of anyone that I know. So you've got a nice analogy to tie the the ribbon or bow on top to actually help it make sense. So like you said, very simple, but it's not always... For most people, until you see that framework, it's a very complex thing, right? And so seeing the framework, hearing it, and then implementing it, that's the game changer right there. Do you love the podcast and the book and wonder what the next step should be on your lifestyle investor journey? 
For a limited time, my team is doing free personalized consultation calls to learn more about your goals and determine which of our courses or masterminds will help you get to the next level. Whether that's to make your first investment or to create your first income stream of passive income, or whether that's to achieve ultimate financial freedom. If you'd like to reserve a spot, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation to book a free strategy session while they're still available. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. So let's talk about how this manufactured itself in your business. So Best Version Mm -hmm. Media, you had an exit. If memory serves me correctly, you even had a chance at a second bite of the apple and then Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're totally out today, right? You you fully exited? No, I, I'm actually still the executive chairman. I am still in. You are? Okay. So yeah, we had a really uh, nice exit in 2018, but uh, I stayed on. I remained the CEO of the organization until a little over two years ago, and I promoted a fantastic guy to CEO. Big upgrade for the company. I can tell you that right now, and I promoted him and uh, remained the executive chairman. So uh, I still have uh, a role there but have always started a lot of different businesses. And even within Best Version Media, we started a lot of companies too, which is fun to keep them in the portfolio and to have new services and products for people. And the way that this folds in is that, you know, culture classically, you hear Warren Bennis said that it eats strategy for breakfast. And it's absolutely true. If you have a great strategy, but a bad culture, you're on life support. But if you have a great culture and a bad strategy, you're going to eventually have a great strategy. So we built a company around that. And a lot of people... We'll build their company around a mission statement. But you know, most people don't care about a mission statement. I used to be invited to companies from Fortune 10 down to whatever. And I would always do the same thing. I'd say, okay, because in the 90s, everybody's in the mission statements. I mean, they would like literally take all of their executive board and put them in a room for three days to come up with some long, elaborate, crazy mission statement that nobody would know that it was totally uninspiring to anybody except maybe the owners of the company. But I used to say, okay, what I want everybody to do here is I want you to stand up together, almost like we're going to say the Pledge of Allegiance, and say the company mission, and nobody could do it. And the whole purpose of a mission statement is to get a bunch of very different people on the same page going the right direction. And I found that most of them never really motivated people. I mean, if you're smart, your mission statement is going to be super simple, one sentence. Like, if you're an NFL team, mission statement, win the Super Bowl. Yep. Super simple. Yep. That's all it is. Inspiring, great. Every year, that's what it is. But a cultural statement is way more important because a cultural statement basically says, what does it mean to work here? And if you can go to an experienced CEO or other executive and then a brand new employee that's at maybe an entry level position and you ask them the question, what does it mean to work here? To the degree that their answers are cohesive is to the degree that you have an actual cohesive culture, which is step one. But what if their answers are bad? Well, you have a cohesively bad culture then too. (laughs) So you need to repair that and make it happen. And a culture can erode 1% a day. So it's super important to go back and constantly work on the culture on a daily basis so people know what it means to work there in principle. The culture is the music, man. It's like the vibe of your organization. And when you walk in and the same beat is going and people hear it, they're all like kind of moving the same direction the same way and they feel the same. And that's what a culture is. Yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing that. I would love any of the specifics that you're able to or willing to share on what it looked like sure, with private equity stepping in and you don't have to give dollar amounts if you don't want to, you don't have to get percentages. I won't only because there's private people involved that want to keep that stuff to close to the chest, but the, you know, the company, 
operated in hundreds of millions. So this is the, the range that we were in. So organization from kind of the start to that particular exit was, I was walking along in the airport every single day, back when we knew each other, okay? I would go home and I would put together a business plan. And I knew exactly what the company was going to be like. I knew the culture. I knew the opportunity. I knew the structure. I just didn't know the product. And one day I was walking along and a friend of mine called and said, hey, a common friend of ours actually sells ads for a mom and pop magazine in this particular state. And I was like, love at first sight. It was an instantaneous. I knew this is something that I could do and it could scale like you wouldn't believe. So I would go to the team every single day and I said, every single thing we do today, we have to do it times a thousand. Okay. Which ended up being way more than a thousand, but we have to do it times a thousand. We have to think that way. And in order to be effective, we have to be able to do more in a shorter period of time with less resources than we did before, because that's the definition of business. Okay. And so if we're going to do that, if we're producing this amount of volume with 10 employees, then we have to produce twice that volume with only 15, meaning that we're scaling and everything had to start that way with the idea of scale. And then beginning with the end of mind, and there's two things. You have to begin with your end in mind, but you can't begin with the end of a business in mind. That is a really bad idea. You don't leave the business in good stewardship to other people who are going to prosper from it. So beginning with my end in mind, but not the business's end in mind, I said to myself, we have to have really good data. If we can't measure everything, if we can't say that our clients on a Tuesday, if the wind is from the southeast at five miles an hour and that particular client likes pepperoni pizza and they're married to a blonde, that means they're going to buy this ad from us, then we don't know enough about our business. I'm clearly exaggerating. But the point is we wanted to know everything. So we built a really good back office so we could track all of the details of our business. We could use that for financial, for marketing information, for sales training. We could use it for everything. And that back office really served to be a tremendous tool when we were you know, going to private equity organizations, because we were kind of the cute girl on the bar stool that people wanted to take home for a long time. And we were able to basically nod this person off and make the wink that we wanted to, which was nice. But then the second thing is you had to have all your books in order. So if you didn't have your finances in order and you didn't understand your product and you didn't articulate how you would work in an up or a down economy, you were really, you'd be out of the game. And then the last portion of that too is you really had to have a very well-established leadership team that they could trust. That doesn't mean that they're going to keep that team, but it does mean that they have the option of keeping that team, which makes it a much more secure investment because there's a deep bench. Yep. And we had talked about this before on your show, but one of the biggest keys here in the valuation jump in a business Mm -hmm. is that it is not a business that basically pivots around you or is branded around you, whoever the leader is, right? That the business exists on its own. There's a team that can run it. It can run at a high level without the founder, without the owner. And so that right there, just in one fail swoop, one, provides a lot of lifestyle, but Mm -hmm. two, provides a much greater valuation. And you've been able to do that. Yeah, it's a huge thing. And it has to happen from the start. So I remember saying to my partners, I said, listen, if you were on a bus and it went off a cliff, who would take your job? And we immediately need to be on pace to replace ourselves. And that was something that we all effectively did. But then I said something else. And this is actually a a good lesson with one of my uh, one of my partners. But I remember saying, hey, listen, that thing that you're doing, you got to stop doing. The bigger we grow this organization, the greater our responsibility, but the less our responsibilities. 
And that's super important. You can't hang on to the same number of responsibilities. You have to get rid of them. And anyone can do what it is you're doing. He goes, nobody could. What I'm doing here is so crucial to the business and it's so important that I have to do it. And I said, I'm going to prove that wrong. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to hire a 19-year-old that's never done this before and I'm going to teach him how to do it just as good as you. And a week later, that happened. And to that person's credit, he mastered that example of delegation after that. He was a quick study because he's a super high virtue person. So even though he was young and didn't get that in that one moment, without having to go through that experience, he never would have been the leader that he was where he was able to ratchet things up super fast after that. Yeah. And it's great that it seems like you've got a partner in, in the PE company that bought you or invested into your company because a lot of them are kind of war stories and yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. go well. And in the 11th hour, they try and change the terms and you know this, that, and the other thing. And so it's always a real blessing when you can find a company that wants to acquire you, they buy the majority, they're people that you enjoy, they're people you can grow with, they give you the freedom to have creativity and do things on your terms. So because it's it's tough to go from being an entrepreneur to now being micromanaged, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I'm sure that that dynamic has changed, but it seems like you have been able to create a real successful partnership with them and even, you know, your transition out of the day-to-day to more of a chairman. Yeah, we're so blessed. So a lot of people talk about private equity uh, almost as though there's a pariah thing. And private equity people are just like everybody else. I mean, you know, there are good ones and there are bad ones. And we interviewed many and there were some that we got a bad vibe from. Because it is true, by the way, that they will try to get you to the point where you've picked out your yachts and your new homes and everything else. And then at the last second, they reduce it. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm kind of married to this idea. And you're in a desperate emotional mode. We didn't have that experience. And we found a really good team. We found this team because we knew that they had assets that they could bring that were outside of financial. We didn't need the money. So we said, okay, can we grow and scale our business because there's mind share from them because they're tapped into really good resources and they can accelerate our growth that way. And they wanted to buy us because they loved what we do. I mean, they looked right in my eyes and they said, are you going anywhere? And that was uh, one of those moments where I I had to like say no and mean it. And I did. But frankly speaking, as a, when I was a CEO, I spent 15 minutes a week on the phone with them. And that was it. And they didn't make a single decision in the company. They just let us run it. And when you're growing like that, that's how it happens. Right. And if it wasn't growing like that, the current CEO would face probably a little bit more interest from them. Rightfully so. And who can blame anybody that puts that kind of money into business that would want to see it go in the right direction? So I think a lot of people that get a little jaded on private equity are just not going in with their eyes wide open. That's right. Yeah. Richard Branson and Warren Buffett are masters at buying a bunch of companies and either keeping the team in place because it's a good team or bringing in a highly skilled, highly qualified team that can Mm -hmm. run it with little to no interference. Richard Branson said to me, get out of the building as fast as you can. Hire best and brightest, get them in. They're going to be better at it than you ever are. So just get out of the way as quickly as you can. Yeah, David Rubenstein was going to buy the company personally. He started the Carlisle Group, if you're familiar with Oh, yeah. yeah. And he sent one of his operators in, a guy that he would buy businesses, and he'd put this operator in, and he'd drive the business and build it and go from there. We had a really good meeting with him, and I wasn't really interested in stepping entirely aside. And, and interestingly enough, David was actually supposed to come to the business the following day, but the king of Saudi Arabia called him to a meeting, so I was bumped for that, But so it didn't go any further. But uh, it worked out better because we've got an organization that we really wanted to be with. 
Well, I love it. Yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot from him over the years. Uh, he comes and speaks to Tiger 21 often. So mm-hmm. we've had him at our annual event and have gotten some one-on-one time with him. And the guy's just brilliant. You know, I, yeah. I'm always posting in the lifestyle investor community tips from people that I think are some of the brightest out there. And I've got a number of things on our wall in our document library that came from really David and the Carlisle Group, just some of his keys to success. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So one of the other reasons that I really wanted to have you on the show is because you do such a great job of living life today. So as the Lifestyle Investor podcast is, we interview successful entrepreneurs, we interview successful corporate executives, we interview successful investors, but it's not just, are you successful in the thing you're doing? I want to know where have you created a hack in lifestyle and doing cool stuff and Uh, Really, since I've known you, you've been all about that. You know, I've been in the early days back when you lived in Wisconsin. I was on your boat out then. I know that you love boating. I know that you are a pilot. You like to fly. I know that you like sports cars. You travel a ton. You love flying private. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff that you've done. And I'd love to hear how just being intentional lifestyle and and living dreams has been uh, impactful for you. Well, I think for me, there are three or four components that come into play on that. Um, the first one is that I believe in good stewardship. And as a, uh, a Catholic, I want to die and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So that kind of drives how I make decisions. I think that one of the mistakes that people make is they look at time as the essential asset. And it is. But really, energy in that time is what matters. So if you don't have the energy for the day ahead of you, you can't get things done. So making sure that you're taking care of your mind and your body and making sure that you're, you know, you're spiritually in tune, that you have all of these things together, they just give you a distinct advantage, frankly speaking. And then what happens is I think that when we talked on my show about a mentor of ours who used to say that money is only good for the good that it does. That really makes a big impact. I didn't come from money. And my parents are just wonderful people, but they didn't, they, they just were super happy living a simple life. And so they taught me that. They taught me that if you identify yourself with the things that you own, you're making a huge mistake. You have to have a detachment from them. You can't say, I am my nice car. Okay. You can enjoy it. But more than anything, it is to bring people together. And I do enjoy a lot of very fun things in life, but I do them to bring family together. I have six kids. I just found out my seventh grandchild on the way. Hey, congratulations. Thank you very much. And to be able to bring the family together or sometimes people who uh, maybe couldn't uh, take a vacation or do something that you have an opportunity to open up a door for them. That's a really great way to enjoy these things and to share them. I mean, there's nothing just worse than thinking about the person who dies alone amidst all sorts of goods that they hoarded for themselves. I mean, uh, and I think if we look at it from that, that perspective, it becomes way more exciting to have fun, way more exciting to have the lifestyle to say, who can I share this with? I mean, who can be a part of this sort of thing with me and to build what you always say, Justin, so well that, listen, it's not just about building wealth. It's about building experiences because we're going to take those with us forever, the memory of those experiences. And it's a good thing to do because very few people have an experience that's not tied to being with someone else. Yeah, 100%. And by the way, the thing that you buy 
that is really exciting. Whatever that thing is, it could be a car, could be a second home, could be your first home, could be mm-hmm. a primary car, whatever it is, there's excitement in that moment and for a period of time. But at some point in time, it, it is ends, right? And so how do you create the experience that was so great that you can forever remember it? But moreover, more importantly, how do you incorporate that with people that you love so that they can experience it? And many times they either A, wouldn't have carved the time out or B, didn't have the means to do it. And so to them, it's that much more special. Yes. Okay. So I love this question because this is an Aristotelian answer that I'm going to give you. Okay. And if you look at Aristotle or Aquinas or these great philosophers, they would want to come into the room and beat me with my microphone because they're going to be way more articulate than me, but I pull things into kind of usable form. So we all desire happiness. Okay. And whether you're talking about investing, like you do, whether you're talking about building corporations and businesses like I do, and you talk about both, but these are things that we ultimately do. Why? I want to be happy. Okay, that's why we want to do things. So there are four levels of happiness. The first one is the physical. So when people want to be happy, they do immediate things. They eat, they drink, they have sex, they do things that are immediate to them physically. And in order, these things can provide a certain amount of happiness. If they're disordered, they become very, very horrible in your life. When it's a disorder, you need more to get there. So let's use a Hershey bar as a metaphor. You have a Hershey bar, fine, that's an order. But now you want three Hershey bars. Well, you have the three, but you're at a low now. And in order to just get back up to normal, you need three more Hershey bars. And to feel better than normal, you need four. And now Mm. crash down again. And you go through this cycle. And it's the same thing with anything physical if it's out of order. So what happens is the person's out of order. They're out of whack. And they need to to do something more. And you find them on Oprah. And they say, Oprah, I was an, an addict. I was trying to find my happiness in these things. And I went from being an addict to accomplishing things. And I accomplished great things. I became a billionaire and I won five gold medals. I wrote seven books and I accomplished that. And you know what? They're happier for a longer period of time. But they start to realize you can't eat, drink, have sex enough to be happy. It goes away. You can't build enough, earn enough, or accomplish enough. At some point, that fades. So they go into the third level, which is philanthropic. And they say, I'm going to give. Oprah, I was an addict and then I built big things and I was still a little empty. So I started giving back. And they experience that joy for a longer period of time. It's a great place to be. And it's a place that I found great joy is to be able to help people like that. I generally don't talk this way, by the way. I have a little bit of a a aversion to people who just, you know, go and feed the poor people in order to take a picture on Instagram. It has nothing to do with somebody being poor. It's for self-recognition. There are many more charitable people out there. But this is a, a really tremendous way to find happiness and satisfaction. And then ultimately, we have an existential look at this, which is to say, I didn't put myself here. So I don't even know how I got here outside of my parents. I don't know how I got here. Where am I going? And every single person has to wrestle with that question. So the more that we get these things to cooperate and not work against each other by having ordered physical passions and ordered accomplishments, which we have a a full prediction for how much joy they're going to bring us. It's only going to bring me this much. And because my expectation was there and the joy was there, I'm fulfilled. The next level, same thing, all the way through. And if these things work together and we have them a part of all of our life, then all of a sudden we have great satisfaction. Yeah, and we've got to be careful that none of those become our idol where they become the number one placeholder that we are working for or or doing things on behalf of because then it messes up that order, right? You you start to 
idolize something that doesn't deserve it, right? And then that I have found and, and I've seen in others as well that you start basically your behavior is not in alignment with something that's going to ultimately bring joy, right? Yeah. It's not going to bring happiness. And maybe in that moment, maybe on part of the journey, but in the long run, it's destructive. Yeah. Yeah. You see that when you see people that have great success and they're not impressed by themselves, they're Mm -hmm. happier. And a person who has great success is super impressed by themselves. That's actually very often the CEO that won't let go. It's the founder that hangs on to the power and the title that they have because they know that if they let it go, they're not going to find it someplace else and they just have to feed their ego with where they are. Now, that is not to say that some people shouldn't start companies that they stay in for a long period of time for all sorts of good reasons. I'm not condemning the idea of longevity. I'm simply saying that for some people, they're staying for the wrong reasons. Yeah. No doubt on that. And I think we all have met people that that is the case. And I think you do a good job of articulating, hey, for some people, being in that role is a good thing. And being in that role with balance and with a desire to give and share, and it's not just about you, not just about the ego, that that can be a miraculous thing for a lot of people. But I think most people don't fit that mold and most people don't live that role that way. Yeah, I agree. I think that one of the things you see in a lot of online influencers today is this kind of condemnation of a lifestyle that's not their own. In other words, if you don't want the Ferrari and if you don't want to be the the killer entrepreneur and be the influencer, then there's something wrong with you. You're living this dissatisfying life. And in order to free yourself, you need to have what I have. There are some people that will be gravely dissatisfied unless they do that. But I'm really glad that my second grade teacher decided to be a second grade teacher her whole life because she was amazing at it. And I still remember her today and the influence that she had. And she ended up teaching my kids later on. And she was happy and satisfied her entire life doing that. So it's a wonderful thing that people can kind of identify that this is where I am in life and this is where I need to be. But if I am dissatisfied there, I got to call Justin Donald and figure out how I can invest a bunch of money and have all sorts of freedom. I mean, that's that time you make that step. Well, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more in the fact that wherever your lane is, that's okay. Mm -hmm. But are you miserable in that lane? Are you dissatisfied? Are you desiring more? It probably is time for a pivot. And that pivot doesn't have to be to become an investor, to become an entrepreneur. It may be Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. but it might be finding growth in a new position that fits your specific skills and needs and, and the way that you can serve better. Yeah. I mean, the way I summarize that with people is it's not so much what you do that matters. It's who you become when you do it that ultimately is the thing that matters. And that's kind of a summary of that. Yeah. And this is a nice segue. I mean, everything that we've talked about today, I feel like is a nice segue into your newest brand, your newest business called Leading Giants. And I'd love for you to talk about that a bit. I know you have a lot of frameworks around it and things that you teach. And, you know, we were chatting off air about all the different pieces of content and videos that you've recorded here recently for this business and for some of the projects that you're going to be launching here in the near future. Yeah, thanks. It's very exciting because it's an opportunity to just exhibit a lot of passion that I've had over the years to be able to uh, share a lot of concepts that I think are going to help a lot of people. So yeah, we did in in a period of about six weeks, uh, 114 micro courses between four and 12 minutes while writing a 65,000 word book and a 20,000 word book and launching a new radio program plus the podcast and doing an online program for a local university that I'm a board of trustee member of. So we've been kicking out all sorts of content, and I want to give Nico 
my producer, a big shout on everything he's done to make that possible. You know this, Justin, you can't do that stuff by yourself. I no mean, way. the team of people that I have working on all these things with me are just making it happen. And I come in every day and I'm like, I can't believe what you guys are getting done. It's absolutely awesome. But the whole mission is to help people accomplish the greatest things that they want to accomplish. I'll, I'll speak kind of candidly on this. If you want to learn how to build a company worth hundreds of millions of dollars and sell it and lead thousands of people and have all sorts of influence and power, I'm happy to teach you, not if you're a jerk. So what I want to do is I want to help form the entire person so that they can recognize that if you master the cabinet business, you're stuck in the cabinet business, maybe by choice and you like it. But if you master yourself, you can go anywhere and you can have and do anything that you want. So we're helping people become giants that way by teaching them how to be entrepreneurs or executive leaders. There's a big sales portion of the course in there. And basically, our tagline to leading giants is it's the influence mastery company. We want to help you become a giant so we can all go slay some dragons. I love it. And by the way, this is really fun for me to see because you're already an author. You wrote books years ago. But there's been a long gap from the last time you released a book to what's going to come out here next year, about a year from now, maybe 13 months from now. So what, I guess, was the impetus to start writing again? Yeah, thank you. I did. I wrote four books. I'm rebranding them now, uh, giving a little facelift. But I was so busy with the business, really, is what it was. I was just in it and, and building something that I knew was important. And I also, here's an interesting thing, and I, there was kind of a second coming to this. But when I was maybe 22 or 23, I was invited to a conference as a speaker, and I was the most novice speaker there. It was me and kind of a mid-level guy. And then a guy named Daniel Burris, who is, I don't know if you know who Daniel is, but no, you can look him up on LinkedIn. He's one of the most respected futurists out there. And back in the day, I mean, he was making $80,000 on a speech, and this is like an early 80s or or, uh, mid 90s or whatever. And he was an author of a book at the time called Technotrends. So I gave my talk, the other person gave their talk, and, and then he gave his talk. And he was maybe 18, 19 years older than me. And afterwards, he said, hey, Actually, we were in the men's room. Great time to have a good conversation standing next <laughs> to each other like that. And he said, I understand you want to write a book. And I said, yeah. And he just looks at me and he says, I wanted to write a book when I was young. And I realized that when I did, I would be either publishing my ignorance or my brilliance for the world to see in perpetuity. So I waited till I was 30. Wow. And what a kind way to tell me I was stupid <laughs> to say, you are not ready for this book. You're too young and naive. So I did wait. I waited till I was 30 and I was able to get some good books out. There was some pretty solid wisdom. But what I wanted to do then after that is I wanted to build the business and exit and get to the point where I had a lot more experience that I could draw upon so that my stories, in addition to being firsthand and theoretical, were really mostly firsthand in that book. And so it was kind of a second coming of the principle that Daniel Burris kindly taught me in the men's room there. (laughs) I love it. Well, what's cool is I know you, I know some of the numbers and where you're at in life today, the things you get to do. You don't have to work. I know this. Mm -hmm. Our audience now knows this, but you still, for me, it's exciting because I can see you're really passionate about it and you're really focused on all these areas that you're excited to explore, excited to learn in. You're like me in many ways that you are curious, you love learning, you love building and creating frameworks, and you're really good at it. But for those that don't know you, why work if you don't have to? And why work as much as you are to put out 114 uh, mini courses or modules? 
you don't need to be doing that. So why spend your time doing that? Yeah, that's a great question because you're in the same boat. So our answers are probably similar. I'll answer it two different ways. One is it's just fun when you're working with people like Nico and the rest of the team. It's an enjoyable thing. Um, But a lot of people who are not yet at that point would say, well, yeah, but the beach would be even more fun. But see, when you go on vacation, you say to yourself, this is amazing. I'm here at this tiki bar and I think I could stay here forever. In fact, I think I want that guy's job. Just serving drinks, no problems. And the second day, it looks just as fun. And the third day, it looks kind of fun, but you look at him and you go, I wonder if he's really fulfilled. And by the fourth day, you're like, I don't, I don't think I could do that. And by the fifth day, you're like, I got to get home yeah. and be productive. And there's just something about that. We as human beings have to solve problems and our problems are our friends. There is not a single job that has ever been invented that did not have a problem to solve unless some nefarious characters are out there inventing problems that shouldn't be solved in the first place. But that's why they're there. And if you look at, a, you know, the studies probably on people who won the lottery that five to seven years later, they're dead or dead yep. broke. And the vast majority of them are. Why? Because their wealth exceeded their virtue. And this is a, this is a problem. Most people wake up every day and they say, I have to solve problems. I have to have food. I have to have shelter. I have to have clothing and I have to behave well at work and go to work because I need those things. Even if I don't want to behave, I'm forced to. Now, all of a sudden, boom, massive wealth. They don't have the basic problems to solve. So what do they do? They unconsciously create problems in their life that they need to solve. So I just knew that I'm either going to create problems in my life that I need to solve, or I'm going to intentionally go solve problems that need to be solved. And there's the difference. Yeah, that's a great description. And the other thing I just want to weigh in on is there are studies done on people who retire that Mm -hmm. don't have anything, don't have a cause, don't have a business, just stop doing stuff. And, and the percentage of people that die within five years, Mm -hmm. uh, once they retire that don't have anything else, from a work standpoint, it doesn't have to be their corporate job. It could be something else. But the ones yeah. who truly don't do anything, the percentages are so high that die within five years. And I think yeah. that that goes to your point of like, hey, we're actually called to solve things, figure things out, to be in relationship, to help others, to mentor. Mm-hmm. I think we should always be in this area to me where like in the middle, it's like, I'm mentoring these people underneath me. I'm trying to pull them up and teach them the things I've learned. But at the same time, I'm being mentored by someone that has more wisdom than me and whatever the thing is. And I rotate on what the thing is. Sometimes it might be health. Sometimes it's financial. But it's some category under the banner of wealth, right? It could be business. It could be specifically marketing and business, which is what my focus is this year and the coach that I hired this year. But I think if we don't have purpose, that's when people lose direction in life. That's when life is cut short. Yeah. You said two things in there that I think are pretty interesting. One of them that you said was the coach that you hired and the things that you're learning, but that's who you are, is you're a coach who people hire and you teach. What most people don't understand is that the best teachers, leaders, and coaches are constantly seeking somebody else out to learn from. It doesn't stop for them. And I remember long ago thinking, I'm going to give my team everything I have. And then when I do, why are they going to come to me? So I have to go get more and grow every single day. And if you stay on that path and you realize the distance between where I am right now and ultimate knowledge is so vast, I'm never going to reach there. So my game isn't to actually have ultimate knowledge or to become perfect. My goal is to see how pathetically far away from that, but still a little closer I can come. 
And yes. life is like that. And if you look at potential, if this is potential right here, okay, and we start our life right here, if we were perfect and we were perfect stewards to our potential, we would end up right here. When people say you have potential and you're young, it's complimentary. You're like, oh my gosh, it feels so good. The definition of potential is unused ability. There comes a point when somebody says you have potential that it's more of an insult <laughs> than a compliment. Yes. And so most of us don't live our life on this perfect scale like that, but we go like this. And so we have to accelerate our learning to maximize our potential because we neglected it early on. And once we start to understand that, it becomes really exciting. And it's that question of how great can you be at something? And how great can you help others to be at something? And when you start to really just kind of like lose yourself in that, you have complete humility in it, or at least you have much a higher level of humility because you're accepting all the problems and mistakes because you really have no right to your successes if you don't own your failures. And this kind of blend, as you talked about when you're on, on my show, of all the mistakes you made, you're like so eager to share all of the mistakes that you made, which I think emboldens people to say, hey, if I'm going to be like Justin Donald, I'm going to go out there and make way more mistakes in order to have those successes too. And that, it takes a lot of pressure off of a person to know that that's a part of the process. Oh, 100%. I mean, people look at me, you, anyone on the show who there's this level of perceived success and it's like, oh man, it'd be so great to be there, but they only see the finished product. And it's not even the finished product of the whole story. It's just where we are today, mm -hmm. but not seeing all of the, you know, issues, the, I mean, there's so many, uh, mistakes made or, uh, failures of, of like foresight or not trusting intuition or, mm -hmm. you know, bad partnership, bad business decision, bad financial decision. And so I think it's so important that we do be vocal and open and honest and share from a, a vulnerable place. Cause we don't have it all figured out. We figured mm -hmm. out enough stuff to have moved up, but we don't have it all figured out. And I want to hang out with people that, have more of it figured out than I do. I want to keep learning. Yeah, absolutely. They say that humility, and I think it was C.S. Lewis said this, right? That humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. Mm -hmm. And that is really a key thing. So one of the things that I found is that the difference between people who have a certain level of success and people who are just kind of dissatisfied where they are is that the person who has a certain level of success they don't spend a lot of time thinking about the people they're better than. They spend way more time aspiring to people who are better than them. And they don't do it from a perspective of envy or jealousy. You know, it's funny because when you think about the seven capital sins, they actually say that jealousy or envy is the only intellectually stupid capital sin. I mean, with pride, you at least look good, right? You can boast. I mean, with, you know what happens with lust. You know what happens with gluttony? You can at least eat all of these different types of things. But envy is the one where there's no payoff. There's no payoff. From the beginning, you automatically feel horrendous. So people who really want to go to the next level, they look up and they go, how did that person do that? That's amazing. I wonder if I could do that. I'm going to try. And the other person looks up and they go, well, woe is me. I'd never be able to do that. If I were them because I had all that luck, then I'd be able to do it. And then it realized that it's just a matter of like being excited about that role model, not envying them. So instead what they do is they, they do this, like <clears throat> my daughter, when she was, my kids are all adults now, but when my daughter was like 15, um, we were going to go to Easter brunch and she had, uh, cut off shorts. And I said, Hey, you got to put a dress on. We're going to go to a nice place for, for brunch. And she goes, 
She goes, why can't I wear these? And I go, well, because well, I want you to look nice. And she says, she goes, well, this does look nice. And I said, well, first of all, I'm not negotiating with you. You're going to put the dress on. We're going to go, you know? And she said, somebody else is going to be dressed like this there. And I said, okay, you're probably right. In fact, there will be somebody with shorter shorts on with more rips in their shorts. There might even be somebody with a tank top on. And in fact, if we stood there for 20 years, eventually with the decline of society, you're going to see somebody walk in completely naked. But I don't care because if your goal is to always be better than the lower standard, you've already won. It's always going to be worse. You can always find somebody with a lower standard, but you're Durand and our standards are up. So let's raise the standard and do that. And of course, she was highly inspired by the motivational speech and willfully went and did it. (laughs) Over time, she did. (laughs) Ah, that's good. That's good. I love it. That's a great story. One thing before we wrap up, we were talking off air and I just got I want to capture this because this is so fun. You were talking about the Dave Cave. You're building a really cool, inspiring place to work and play. And I'd love for you to just share some of this and then we'll wrap things up for the day. Okay. well, it started that I was collecting uh, classic cars. I enjoy them, but they're kind of a pain to own. Frankly speaking, they all leak and everything else. And it just doesn't matter what you're getting. If they're a a certain, certain age, that's going to happen. And so I was going to store them all there. And so I went and I bought this uh, big uh, kind of a warehouse type of thing. And once I got it, I I just looked at it differently. And I said, Oh, I can do something more with this. So we're putting a full court pickleball in a golf sim. That's the best one out there. So you can golf any course. And then we're going to have a mezzanine with a really cool bar. I just went alligator hunting. I got a couple of 12 footers, by the way, beautiful alligator. So they're going to be mounted above the bar. And then it's just going to be like neon lights and a really cool atmosphere. We call it the Dave cave. And uh, there's going to be a filter there so you can smoke cigars and you won't smell them the next day. And everyone that's a good person has a good whiskey collection, right? Isn't that maybe I'm overstating that anyway? Well, I think that's really important. That's good. I think it is important. So that's going to be up there too. And it's going to be a lot of fun, but you know what? It's going to be a place, like I said before, where I'm going to be able to get some work done there too, but where I'm going to have a lot of friends and family come in. And there's gonna be a lot of people who would never, ever have that experience unless you invite them. And now they have that experience. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I know you got a lot of cool things like that in your life too. They're just meaningless without people That's right. in your life with it too. So Well, I love it because it builds community, but also it creates an inspiring place to work from too. So it's it's a win-win. It does. Not to mention the fact that it's doubled in value since I already bought it. The investment was good timing. By the way, this is why you buy assets. Yeah. Buy assets because they will go up over time. I think that's a wonderful example, even without you repurposing it yet. And it will only go Mm -hmm. up more from there, which is so cool. And one thing I do want to say before we wrap up, every year we do our annual family planning and marriage planning, family planning day. My wife and I, we have this outline. It's a long outline that we've added to. It takes a full day to do it. We celebrate with some meals. But in this outline, and I'm happy to share it, we can attach it here in the show notes. But in this outline, one of the things is to be intentional with who the people are that you're going to have these relationships, these moments, these experiences with both as couples for spouses to do that together and then individuals where you know it's one-on-one or group time. But something that I think a lot of people don't do, and I think most people don't do that, I think that has been huge for me in in developing great relationships, but it's also listing who is my mentor, who are my mentors Mm -hmm. for the year. And I may not even be on their radar, so how do I get on their radar? And it's just that intentionality that I think is really important. So I just wanted to share that. I know you're great at that, Dave, and congrats on all the success that you have had. 
both inside and outside of your business and professional life. You live a life that is very admirable on all levels. And I'd love, not only am I a huge fan and proponent of you, but I'd love to just endorse all that you're doing with leading giants. And why don't you share where people can learn more about that and more about you? Thank you. I appreciate that. And by the way, the respect you know is mutual. Uh, leading Giants, you can go to leadinggiants.com. Uh, That's Leading Giants. And February 1st, there's our official launch. We're putting some teasers up there now so people can see them. But before the site is fully active, it'll be February 1st. And also, too, Justin, I've got a couple of free things here that I'm going to offer your guests if they would like to take a look at those so they can uh, walk away and at least have a little bit of tool. If, we've, if we never contact each other at some point, they can at least walk away with something. And you're a gracious guy, too, for what you've done on my show. And I think that one of the reasons that people are attracted to what you're doing is that you classically understand the concept that givers get, and you do a lot of giving with no intention to get anything in return, and it's something that I admire, so thanks. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Dave, and just so fun to connect, as always. I like finishing every show that we do. I hinted at this earlier, but I'm going to share it now. It's a question that I like to ask all of our listeners at the end of each session with each guest, and that's this. What is one step that you can take today to move towards financial freedom, to move towards the life that you desire that's on your terms? It's not a life by default, but rather a life by design. So what's one thing that you grab from Dave today that you can implement and put into action that can help create and lead to a more fulfilling life? Thanks, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who would benefit from this episode, would you mind sharing it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all resources mentioned, visit www.lifestyleinvestor.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. This podcast is being made available exclusively to financially sophisticated, high net worth individuals capable of evaluating the merits and risks of investments. The material presented in this podcast is not intended to be investment advice or to recommend the purchase or sale of any security, nor is it intended to be legal, accounting, or tax advice. You should consult with your legal, tax, or financial advisor in connection with any material discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative nor a guarantee of future results. Certain materials discussed on this podcast may have been prepared by third parties, which have been obtained from sources that we believe to be accurate and current. However, we make no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, completeness, or currency of such materials.